to the DIY Animation Show, where we get to the heart of what it means to be an independent animator. I'm Lauren Morse. And I'm Jessica Dahl. Together with our guests, we'll explore tips, tricks, the psychological, the fundamental, and above all, how to make whatever you can with whatever you've got. From the keys to the breakdowns and everything in between. The timing's right to do it yourself. Let's get rolling! To the DIY animation show. Yeah! Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Woo-hoo. We've got a brand new episode today. But before we get stuck in, we also have three great announcements you will like. Mm-hmm. They're like buses. They all come at once. It's true. <laughs> uh, these announcements will be short and snappy, and then we'll get right on with the show. Yes. Oh, man. So first announcement. Good news for everybody who loves Spotify, because the DIY animation show is now available. Yeah. Woo-hoo. It makes us super trendy and <laughs> right down there with the kids. Oh, yeah. Such hip. Much cool. On fleek? Is that how you use the word? Is this where we dab? Oh, yeah. The... I just did like a hair flick and sunglasses. <laughs> Ooh, I, cool thing. that's nice. Yeah. So if you want to join us being equally cool, you can just open up Spotify and search the DIY animation show and hit follow to get every past and future episode. Wow. Now that sounds cool. Right? <laughs> yeah. Open up the dictionary and that's where it's at. <laughs> Anyways, next up. We have a coffee! Whoa! Now, have you been wanting to support the DIY animation show in addition to likes and shares for a while now, but you just haven't known how to? Well, you're in luck, because we have a fresh, brand new coffee page exactly for that. Wow. Wow, indeed. If you're unfamiliar, coffee, or co-fi, if we say it phonetically, (laughs) works on the concept of treating your favorite people to a cup of coffee. Whether to say thank you or just because, or maybe you're just feeling flush that day so you're giving out coffee to everybody. (laughs) So with coffee, you can donate the equivalent of a nice virtual cup of coffee to support the show. Yeah. We're obviously a fully indie production. It is just me and Jess, Mm -hmm. the two of us, making this thing. And we absolutely love creating the DIY animation show for you Mm -hmm. and bringing you the best doses of inspiration and encouragement. And so all proceeds will directly fund the show's creation and running and will provide us with more means to create, try new things for the show, and ultimately produce more quality content for you. So, all said, if this is something that you'd like to do, and huge thank you and an oral high five to you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> you can support the show at coffee.com forward slash DIYA show. That's K-O hyphen F-I dot com forward slash DIYA show. Yep. And you can find this link in the show notes for this episode and on our social media channels. Mm-hmm. And now we're on to the third final announcement, which is Lauren and I will be at Denver Pop Culture Con this May in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Formerly titled Denver Comic Con, Denver Pop Culture Con runs from Friday, May 31st through Sunday, June 2nd. Yes. This will also be the first time that Jess and I will be together in person since the year... 
2016. That's so cool. I can't believe it. I know. It's happening. I'm so excited. It's going to be good. Yeah, man. I can't believe it's taken so long. <laughs> we can't be in the same place too often because mm-hmm. otherwise our combined excitement overloads the city grids. We have to be very careful. We have a virtual <laughs> operation and when like... Yeah, you just we have to be very careful when like these meetings take place. So yes, <laughs> you'll be perfectly safe though. Mm, for sure, for sure. Except not from our barrage of high fives. Indeed, in general, geeking <laughs> out. So <laughs> prepare yourselves or join in as well. It'd be good times. <laughs> just absorb it all. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll be there, seeing the sights, promoting the show, and just generally geeking out. Mm-hmm. So if you'll be there, please come and say hi. We have high fives and all the DIY geek outs waiting just for you. Yeah, we'll have more info nearer the time, like table number and all that kind of thing. But we just wanted to put this info out there into the interwebs for now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Woohoo. And that, my friends, is it for housekeeping. We did it. <laughs> yes. Good job. Yes. Well done for listening. Yay. So now it is time to dive into yet another fantastic interview. And we have have a really good one here for you today. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are here with writer and director and creator Cinzia Angelini and producer Andrea Ems to discuss Mila, an incredible 3D short film raising awareness about children impacted by war. It's a topic close to Cinzia's heart. The story is based on her mother's own personal childhood experience of bombing raids in her hometown during World War II. And with Andrea Ems on board as Mila's producer, these two become an unstoppable team, in it for the long game to make strides for a movement about this important issue. Mila is a volunteer-based, high-quality CG short film and has some seriously impressive stats. Work began on the project in 2011. It has a total crew of 350 volunteers. That's 350 volunteers. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a lot. Across 35 countries on top of that. And a modest funding campaign to cover the bare essentials to make this film possible. Mm. There's no studio backing for this one. Only a lot of volunteers, a few sponsors, a lot of hours, and even more love. Cinzia and Andrea are making waves in a topic they're passionate about, striving to create a healthy and remunerative work environment for their extensive family of volunteers, while forging a community both inside the Mila family as well as in the animation industry itself. So, today, Cinzia and Andrea tell us about the story of Mila's real-life origins. Running a professional studio on volunteers, donations, and an Indiegogo campaign. Managing a giant team spread across the whole planet. The best places to spend what money you do have once you've raised it. And how to create a healthy working environment for your volunteers through paying it forward. So get comfy and ready for an uplifting and motivating chat with Chinsia and Andrea. Let's go! It's time to begin! So we've been really excited to see the trailers and clips for Mila. It looks absolutely beautiful and the story sounds incredible. Could you share with us a synopsis of what it's about and why you wanted to make the film? Yeah, so I'm Cinzia. I'm the director of of Mila. And uh, I came up with the idea a few years ago because uh, uh, it was time for me after 18 years of animation at the time, uh, being in the animation field, to work on my own film 
And uh, so I thought a lot about what I wanted to talk about. And um, story that my mom always told me growing up as a kid, as a five-year-old in the middle of World War II in northern Italy, in Trento, where our family is from, always resonated with me. And um, I thought it was very interesting to approach a story about uh, the distress of a kid in the middle of uh, war with animation because animation is the medium I love, and I wanted to do it that way. Mm. So Mila is, uh, is the story of this little girl, Mila, that uh, finds herself in the middle of, uh, of bombardments. We start with a dream, and we kind of show her life before war. So the peace, the market, it happens on top of a carousel that turns around. And the carousel represents childhood and innocence and all of that, uh, we see her mom, so she's happy, and then she wakes up, she was just dreaming, and she's on top of the same carousel, but is destroyed. So that's kind of representing what war does to kids. So from there, she's basically, we understand she's alone, it's uh, the war attack happens, she's of course a kid in distress, and there is a stranger, uh, a woman that saves her, Eventually, we understand that also this woman lost everything. She's alone. She lost her kid. She lost her husband. And um, they spend the night together, getting to know each other. And um, and uh, and she basically takes her to escape the bombings. And the end uh, is very um, hopeful because uh, they decide with many other people to leave the city. And now they have they are like a new family. They decide to go together. They're two souls that lost everything and they're kind of lost and uh, by finding each other they kind of uh, find hope for a better future again so this is a quickly mila story wow that sounds wonderful uh-huh. it sounds incredibly powerful mm. so with mila we have chinzia the director of the film and we also have andrea with us too and andrea is the producer for mila could you guys tell us how did you both come to work together on the short film yeah, well, Chinsi and I initially met through a mutual friend back in 2010, and I was, I actually had gone back to college a second time for game art and design, so I was learning animation while I was in, in school, and so she brought the project to us, and it was extremely impactful and poignant and beautiful, and, and you know, it's super hard to just not stop and, and, and pay attention and want to learn more about it. So as we got to talking and we got involved and a lot of the students at the school got involved, this is where we did a ton of the like the pre-production work with all of the asset development. Mm-hmm. And and I was I was just helping out there in production and then just as time went on, Shinsi and I just our bond grew and and um, professionally and just our friendship and it just kept going from there and I just I couldn't be happier. That's wonderful. So you guys were doing all the, did a lot of the pre-production work during that time. How far into production was Mila at the time then? Because it sounds like that was just towards the very beginning stages. Yeah, when I went there to the school to show the students, I had like um, an animatic. So the storyboard, I believe it was just a couple of sequences. I don't even know if I had the full film. Do you remember, Andrea? It it wasn't at that point. Later on, you had it because I remember when we were doing a lot more concept, it was. But I think at that point, when we first met, it was only the animatic in the first teaser trailer. Yeah. And then uh, the the model of Mila we had and uh, then we, I think we reworked um, and uh, pretty much uh, it, I think, (laughs) that much. So the idea, the story was, uh, you know, 
pretty close to what it is today and uh, the, the animatic character designs was there and some pre-production work like as far as uh, visual development but uh, not much so we went from there from 2010 on and, uh, and built it you know slowly mm-hmm. that's wonderful i'm really curious how long have you been wanting to tell the story of mila for um it, well i i didn't really know it was mila or that story in particular but since i you know since i was a kid uh, or a teenager when i started to actually have a, more of a concept you know of the world around and uh, i was uh, about 17 18 when we had the nasty war in yugoslavia and the balkans so i was very impacted by that plus all of um, my mom's stories of her as a kid and my grandmother as well that went through two world wars. So I always knew I wanted to do something that was talking about war and against war, of course. Uh, I remember I did some early experimental animation with the footage from uh, the Rwanda massacre. So it was always there. And then when it was time to do it professionally at a certain level, because after, you know, almost 20 years in the animation business, I knew what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. That that was very natural for me to go there. And from all the stories and the things that I've seen, the one that was closer to me was actually the actual story that my mom always told me over and over of how she would just freeze, do nothing, be terrified. Just like the kid that we recently saw from Syria or many other, you know, uh, images that we see from war zones where you see these kids that are just stunned and they cannot do anything. They're just there. So that's that's a bit the, what pushed me to start thinking about and building the story around this because you cannot actually have a story or a character developing with a character not doing anything. So that's just the spark of what the kids feel. And, and then I built the story around it. Uh-huh. Mm, that's that's incredible. That's, that's pretty powerful. So in, in those early days, was it clear to you how you would go about making Mila? You know, did you find that your backgrounds in feature animation and the entertainment industry helped inform that approach? Yeah, uh, I I started as a traditional animator, so like um, you know, drawing drawing yeah. on paper, you know, when uh, <laughs> we used to draw on paper. And, uh, paper, so, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my background. And then um, as I was a dreamer, so it before Spirit, I think it was 2001, 2000, 2001, you know, after Toy Story came out, everybody wanted to switch to CG, to computer animation. So mm. I was one of the first guinea pigs to be trained as a traditional animator and see how traditional animators would do in CG. Oh, wow. So that's why I have a background in traditional animation. And then I had like 10 plus years into CG. But in 2010, I was my job was CG animator. So I wanted Mila to be as impactful as possible visually for the audience. And I decided to go with computer because I think between the camera moves, the effects and everything, that would uh, show the impact of war more than not to go in the graphic way with 2D, so mm-hmm. with traditional animation. So that's why I, even if I love traditional animation and I adore it, for this film, I thought that um, it was perfect to go computer animation. 
and I also decided to not have any dialogue, to keep it as universal as possible. Even the name of Mila, it's a name that you could find in many, many countries. It's easy to, to pronounce. And so the, the, the goal of Mila is to be as universal as possible. So there is only music and it's just a score. And, uh, and no dialogue. No, that's beautiful, especially for the topic, too, because mm. it's so I mean, it's not specific to any particular country or language or anything like that. It's something I feel like with the topic, like the uh, child survivors of war, it's not a specific problem. It's something that all countries in the world experience. It's a very human problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not just a timely thing. It's timeless. It happens all the time throughout history. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Well, man, well, just to move forward. So we saw on your Indiegogo page that you successfully raised over $60,000 for Mila, which is absolutely incredible. And just huge congratulations to that. So just like, thank you. Andrea did an amazing work with her team. She did the whole thing. I was just, uh, you know, there for the ride, but she did did, uh, amazing. It's just incredible what she was able to do. Yeah, I feel like running something like that, that just seems there'd be so many things to try to pay attention to and just... It was an epic feat. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean, I had done as much prep work as I could beforehand and spoke to a lot of people that I knew had run successful campaigns and, like, what worked for you, what didn't. And, but you never are going to truly know until you go through it yourself and then you're going to come up with your own roadblocks or things that are, are going to work for you that didn't work for somebody else. And it's you have to be able to pivot on a dime, pretty much like in, in production work, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But it's like every day, it was like really my life for two months was all <laughs> Indiegogo. <laughs> uh, well, but was it the- paid off and I'm, I'm thrilled, so it's totally worth it. Nice. Was there anything that you didn't expect that like happened during all that that you were like, oh, I didn't see this curveball? coming oh my um, god i'm sure there were many. yeah <laughs> uh, I mean, what's interesting when putting an indiegogo campaign together before you actually launch is you have to prep a ton of things okay graphics and what are you going to say and and your videos but then you know what are the perks you're going to put forth and so as we're like brainstorming and coming up with all these like ideas like oh well we would love this and and what if we did this and we offered this and like oh my gosh yeah that's going to sell like gangbusters and then it does nothing and nobody's interested oh no like oh Oh, okay. That's good to know. Okay, only me. All right. So, uh, so I mean, so we've had to have a lot of backups or, or figure out on the fly or do surveys and go like, hey, do you like this? No. Okay, good. What about this? Yes. Okay, well, let's do this. And so, like I said, there's a lot of flexibility needed and being able to, um, much like you do in production where you, quote, kill your babies, where you have to just let things that you've worked on for a long time go because it's not working. It's kind of the same mentality in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and, and I was constantly updating and putting information out there and just trying to understand the social media aspect of everything. That was probably my biggest challenge, I guess is understanding that the way Facebook works is different the way Twitter works, which is different the way Instagram works, and the mentality of the kinds of posts that people are expecting in order to get a stronger result. And I have a fantastic social media team that helped educate me one, 
and then helped me in, in moving forward. So it was an education for sure. Mm, yeah, that sounds like so much to get your head around. It is. It's a little intimidating. It's a lot of work. You know, normally, well, I, you know, honestly, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people who crowdfund, they might have a bigger team or may, they might be just like us with, you know, just a handful. So, you know, anyone who is going to do a crowdfunding needs to have a team of people. You cannot do it by yourself. It is way too much work. Mm. If I can add to that, especially for films because we are not selling the cool electric bike of the future where people see something you know tangible and they want it we we sell something that is is just you know it's going to be up there in the on the screen we cannot give them anything physical so you have to come up with all the perks that are not actually you know it's different more uh, virtual you know idea versus selling objects or things so it's it's even more difficult i think for with films mm. yeah and and for us too especially uh, because of the film and what Cynthia just mentioned one of the things that helped push us forward is also just the story and the movement of Mila, of what we're trying to do to try to say, okay, it's not just a film. We're not, I mean, yes, we are wanting to make a beautiful, impactful film, but we're also wanting to do more. And so in trying to reach their heartstrings and pull those a little bit and say, okay, listen, you're taking a big risk on us because we're not a tangible product. We're just, you know, like Chinzia said, a kind of a virtual visual thing. Here's also what your contributions will be doing in the long run or in like the grand scheme kind of things, which is our goal. So it's trying to push that message out as well. It it can be very tricky. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how much it must take to come up with all the different perks that you came up with. It sounds like a lot of trial and error which I don't think I'd have considered before, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it's also, too, trying to understand, like, okay, because, like, you know, we we really wanted a Mila plushie doll, and we oh. even... Oh. Right? So, <laughs> and, and we even had an amazing artist who designs plushie dolls come up with a plushie doll for Mila, but it just costs too much to do production-wise on our end that mm. you have to be careful not to have so many crazy perks that you end up all the money you raise goes straight to perk production. Right. So we, unfortunately, and I think that would have probably sold very well, but it was so expensive on the front end that it was just too, well, one, we didn't have the money (laughs) to even try. So you have to really be thoughtful about your perks so that you're not going bankrupt just to try to create them. Mm. Because we had a ton of ideas. There's so many cool things you could do, but you just, you have to be really thoughtful about the profit margin. Totally. You don't want to shoot yourself in the foot to try to like get a cool thing out there. Yeah. We will someday do a a Mila plushie. We just don't know how or when, but we will. Yeah. Yeah. Can you let us know when you do? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> so um, the kind of funds that you get from your Indiegogo campaign, what do they allow you to bring into the production that you perhaps wouldn't otherwise have been able to do? Yeah, well, they're just going to help us, especially in uh, at the back end uh, with rendering that has some high costs. Mm. So we're all volunteers, but uh, we, uh, we've we been working with uh, Valerios, that is uh, the one of the executive producer and also VFX supervisor and owner of Pixel Cartoon, that is an uh, animation studio in Trento, actually, where the, the film is based. So Valerio and I went to animation school way back, 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 and uh, he has been involved since day one, and basically is doing things at cost. I mean, he's not making any money on Mila for sure. 
He asked for a grant to the Trentino Film Commission because he was born in Trento, so he could. I was born in Milano, so I could not legally. Mm. So he did ask for that. We had a grant that is um, just dedicated to that, to rendering. But uh, as you've probably seen from the teaser trailer, Mila is very, very high quality. So rendering uh, one frame sometimes is hours of rendering time. You need machines, you need time, you need people to set up those files. So most of the Indiegogo funds will go toward that. Plus some will be for music, some will be for uh, some licenses that are needed. We have uh, great sponsors uh, like Solid Angle that gave us 30 licenses of Arnold. That is a very powerful uh, renderer. So they gave us 30 licenses for free for Mila. But uh, not everybody uh, out there is um, doing that that easily. So we're using other softwares that we need that are not giving away licenses for free. So you need to get them. So stuff like that, uh, mostly. I don't know if I missed anything, Andrea. I mean, other than some file sharing costs, you know, like Box.com or some other things that we've been doing in order just to for the day-to-day, that I think you covered everything. Mm. I'm really curious, too. When it comes to servers, how does that work? It's just that's something that I've never fully understood before. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so the all, always Pixel Cartoon in Trento is handling the server. And... Um, we usually, when someone comes on board, Andrea will send them uh, NDA to sign before they come on board, and then they have an account uh, logging into the server, and that's uh, how we basically work. We have uh, just a folder structure that everybody has to to follow, a name convention, and everything that has to be uh, followed exactly uh, how it's supposed to. Otherwise, you know. Computers are very clever, but not. So if you have a, you have a dot or you have a space or you have a capital letter that is not supposed to be there, you're not going to render stuff like that. So it's very tricky because uh, it's uh, working, you know, of course, because we are rendering, uh, but it's very fragile because of uh, 250 people, you know, spread around the world using it. So if somebody doesn't follow the the name convention, for example, we'll have issues. We'll have to go back and look what happened. Oh, this and this didn't do that. Okay, well, we'll fix it. But it takes time. So, of course, as you go forward with a production like this, your server gets stronger and stronger because people do what they're supposed to do and they upload things as they are supposed to. But it's very tricky compared to a server that is at the studio. And... Usually even big productions have issues with pipeline. I mean, that's always a big discussion at the beginning of the film. Every production tries to take the best of prior production and come up with a better pipeline because there is always room to improve it. It's just a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I think considering, you know, that we basically had no resources for five, six years, we did a pretty great job. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's looking amazing right now. Mm-hmm. It kind of moves into something I'd like to ask, which is Mila is such an immersive and obviously well executed film. It must be pretty intensive to make as well with such a comparatively small budget and small amount of resources. How did you decide what areas to put emphasis into in order to achieve such a big budget look to the film? Well, in order to achieve that look, I think you need to put emphasis everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. First of all, the story, because... Um, I am a strong believer that no matter how your film will look, 
uh, if it's amazing, beautiful. If you don't have a story, you don't have a character you care for, it's kind of, you know, just an exercise on how to render or how to animate. You kind of lose the heart of the project if you don't have a strong story. And we see that on feature films too, you know, sometimes we go mm. see films that are like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So if you don't have the story, why, especially uh, if you have to embark in such an adventure with no money, all volunteers for years don't even go there if you don't have a strong story. So say that I, you know, I had the fortune, of course, to have many friends that uh, have been, you know, professionals and have so much experience in the animation world for many years. So I got amazing people collaborating from the beginning on all at all levels uh, for character design, uh, visual development, uh, modeling. Uh, not even going to <laughs> mention everybody because we're gonna be here for another hour. But uh, <laughs> we have a credits on on the on the website. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so picking the right supervisors is really really strong. And sometimes you have somebody coming from outside with a great wheel and uh, they want to have the big title. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you have somebody starting as a student and just uh, growing within the team and within a year or two, they are the supervisors because they showed the, the interest and the dedication to the project and the talent. So it's up to me and Andrea to actually, you know, kind of be aware of this and, and pick the right people. I mean, now we are more further uh, ahead in production, so we are pretty much everybody in place. But for somebody that wants to start a film, that's something to keep in mind. When you guys are looking for a supervisor, what qualities are you looking for in a person that you think really makes up a strong supervisor, even if it's for them like to grow into that role? For me, it's a matter of communication skills. I mean, obviously, and Chinzi can talk more about the talent and technical side of things, but for me, it's about communication skills, it's about reliability, it's about people skills sometimes. And, you know, it's interesting because we have so many different cultures involved, uh, even though everybody on the project speaks English, 85% of us, English is not the first language. You know, so finding someone who is gracious and kind and patient and on it and understands the volunteer aspect of how we are moving, I think, helps, you know, because you have to have a certain kind of mentality going into this. Like for me, I, I always joke about it, but it's kind of true. I gave up trying to make a production schedule or deadlines and milestones because it just was laughable only because... You know, we we are running this as much as a professional studio as we can. And I think that's made a huge difference and helped. But we have to understand that because we are all volunteer, I can't go to someone and say, hey, if we were in a professional studio, this shot or this little task you're doing should really only take a week, maybe two, not two months. But this is people working after they come home from work or on the weekends or when they have time. So you have to understand that we can't be as demanding as we might be in a in a 40-hour work week professional studio setting. So having that kind of a person uh, for me is, I think, beneficial when looking for a supervisor on my end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as far as me, when I get uh, reels, I usually, if it's animation, because of course of my background, I, I would review the animation reel. Or maybe sometimes I can share it with the two leads that are helping me giving notes. 
if it's something another department like lighting uh, mostly at this time we have uh, lighters or compositors or, or effects artists that's what we we still need to finish so i would send it to the supervisors for a review for yeah this is for artists for to pick the supervisor i think um, the best is to have somebody on board and know how they work with the team and know how they communicate like andrea said know how much time they have to dedicate to the project and then move on. That's a, Those, I think, have been the most successful. We have one example where we lost one supervisor and someone from the team recommended a supervisor and it worked out great. So, But some other times we had people that wanted the title and then they did nothing. And then we eventually, you lose time and you're pushed into letting them go, finding somebody else, that maybe have a different approach to the department and everybody starts over, everything starts over. So uh, it could be very, it's tricky, it could be very time consuming not to find the right person right away. But, you know, with a volunteer effort, it's really hard. Uh, we're not offering, you know, a gazillion dollars a week. <laughs> uh, that's fi- you find people, that's no problem. But, so we are just finding the best because they're working, they're volunteering for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, it sounds like so much of it is just being a team player and like and being open to yeah. communicating clearly and all of that too and i have to say so with the team of 250 plus people volunteering like that's that's incredible everything about this production is incredible to me <laughs> well they're they're not all working now because uh-huh. many wrapped up like uh, modeling and rigging and biz dev mostly you know they're finished so the team actually working now is probably what 100 people andrea i don't know uh probably a bit over well- 170 maybe overall um as far as like we've got some animators who are just doing cycles or some are doing shots or production people and or um you know waiting for shots people who are considered quote active are probably a little over the 120 maybe yeah so yeah but it's a it's a big team because when you're volunteering you you maybe you can do one shot or two or three but it's a different pace than uh, traditional production like a, a studio. Mm. What have you learned about working with such a big team of people spread out all over the world? Uh, to be diplomatic. I learned to pay attention to, to time difference, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. cultural differences, uh, and yeah, reading emails uh, with an open mind because sometimes you get emails from a person that doesn't know English so well. Is from another culture, and it might look a bit harsh or offensive, but it's not. It's just they don't know how to approach. So I think uh, to keep an open mind with people and know how to work with everybody as best as possible. I think it's what uh, I've learned mostly. Plus, of yeah. course, learning from everybody, you know, so many talented people. But um, mm. yeah. yeah, for me, it's been definitely a, a course on patience, right? Because you're on a completely different time scale. And it's been really nice, too, because I feel the, the level of compassion that we have for our team, or we mean we, we call ourselves the Mila family, because we're not just co-workers, right? Because normally... I mean, when you work at a studio, you create bonds and you have unity and stuff. But there's most of them you're not really that close to. You're just going in. Sometimes, unfortunately, people go in for a paycheck and they go home. So for us, since we are all passion driven by this story, by whatever 
personal story that drew us to this, that connects us, that pushes us to want to create this film on our own time and volunteer-based, that creates a level of compassion that is resonates. And so there's a something that we all kind of uh, connect with. And I feel like, you know, usually, um, and Chinzi has talked about this before, like, you know, when you're in w- your own little department, you see the department in front of you and the department behind you, but you're not really involved with anybody else. So it's it's been a very uh, interesting learning process, especially for me. I mean, yes, I went to school for game art and design, which also half of my classes was 2D and 3D animation. So I know how it all works, but it's very interesting to learn more of the technical side from other departments as well, just you know, outside of my production bubble. So it's it's been a very interesting and open environment that we try to do. One of the things we, like Chinzi had mentioned, if we have someone that came in as a you know, a junior animator, and then after X amount of time, just impressed and pushed and so much. And then we elevate them appropriately and and deservedly to a a higher position, whether it's a supervisor, a lead or senior animator or whatever it is. We're open to find those people, but also listen to everybody. You know, one of the things that we've learned on this is you know, we have our ideas and we, especially with Chinsia's background, she has a wealth of knowledge of what works and what doesn't, but being open to listening to everybody, just because someone comes in and they might be a junior on our project doesn't mean they don't have something important and, and valuable to help the production move forward. So that's been something besides being flexible that I've learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's wonderful. So like along with that, too, it almost sounds like there's in in a manner of speaking that the Mila family is pretty open for kind of like internal collaboration almost because you're working with so many people. How do you make sure that the style stays cohesive between everybody? And then also along with that, too, is there a core visual style that everybody follows? Basically, uh, we work uh, like any other big production would work and approach uh, and tackle a story, a feature that is uh, in pre-production. What the visual development artists with the art director do is to set the tone for the the lighting and the atmosphere um, and the design, of course, uh, based on the character design work of the film. And that's kind of the blueprint of the film. We created a color script, basically, like you have a script that is written script, the traditional script that everybody knows. Uh, You have a color script that follows the beats and the mood and the emotions of the character that we are following through the film with light and tone and mood. So if you have a happy sequence, it's going to probably going to be more colorful and, you know, and bright versus a war sequence. Like in Mila, it's more like bluish, dark, gray. And, uh, and then we have a candlelight sequence. So all these pre-production work is the blueprint for everybody. Then, of course, every department will improve based on the work that has, has been done already by the BizDev. So the art director, for example, a character has been modeled and needs to be textured. The art director will do a painting and the, based on that painting, probably going down to painting, you know, the details of the fabric, finding, researching. This is uh, the 40s, right? Is uh, 1943, so researching on the look of what textures were used, uh, what type of fabric, uh, what buttons, all of that. We can do research down to that detail, and then the look dev supervisor with his team will look at and put that into the 3D model 
improving from there, always, you know, checking back with the, me, of course, and the art director. And uh, we can all say, oh, that fabric is actually better because somebody based on the previous research will do another one. But everybody, the most important thing is like everybody that needs to be involved is involved and is chiming in on saying, oh, let's do that, 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 so then. When it's approved, it's not just me approving it with LookDev, it's me approving it with LookDev and Art Direction mm -hmm. and Character Design, if it's modeling, whatever it is. So everybody's kind of going forward, uh, all linked together or all everybody chained together, you know, <laughs> so that nobody is, you know, losing track of what we are actually going towards. So that's, that's how productions do, you know, it's a big collaboration and everybody needs to be involved as much as possible, especially the department that are close by. Uh-huh. Just very, very communication-focused and very structure-focused, it sounds like. Just yeah, you, you have to. Otherwise, you lose. I mean, you end up with characters not living in the same world or having colors that are not going to work well with the background because once everything's rendered, you're going to have multiple people on shots with different looks, war or dream or whatever, that have textures that need to be working together and be true to the period and also work with the background and the colors of the background. If you don't do that work ahead of time on paper, I mean, quote unquote, it's going to, you know, it's probably Photoshop, but you, know, <laughs> you cannot fix it once you go to rendering. I mean, I mean, you can fix some t things, but you cannot fix everything once you go to rendering, you're, you're done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also if I may, a, a lot of times you, you were talking about how do you collaborate or, or et cetera, mm -hmm. um, especially in when you have those troubleshooting moments or you need to make a shift because the pipeline in one area is not working or we come up with something that we have to fix or change, getting everybody involved, meaning everyone like the supervisor, the, the leads and discussing the issue and then bringing in, say, well, what do you think would be the issue further down the line in, in rendering or in, you know, hair and cloth and finding a solution that's going to, because one thing might fix one department, but could cause another issue for another. So we have to come together and discuss it all and figure it out with our CG supervisor or this and that to make sure that all of the, you know, problems that we are trying to troubleshoot doesn't add seven more. Mm -hmm. So like you had mentioned, it is very much about being communicative and um, and then making the decision moving forward and, and, and staying in line with what the vision is, but also being able to pivot if we need to shift. Like early on in, in the very beginning, we had a more painterly style, but then we realized that it wasn't going to be something on, on our kind of production that we were going to be able to maintain and so we shifted and actually it was a blessing in disguise, if you will, because I think, you know, it elevated our look 10 times more, even though the painterly style was gorgeous, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just being able to speak, pivot, be flexible and then come together as a whole. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. What about in terms of like the logistics <laughs> of all talking together? Do you guys tend to I imagine that you guys would want to talk a lot in person or do you guys have to fluctuate between email and, uh, and other methods because of time zones? Is that ever an issue? Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I live in San Jose, so I live seven hours from Chincia, right? And she lives in, in, in Los Angeles area. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Valerio lives in Italy and our lighting supervisor lives in New York and our art director lives in Canada. So, you know, it, we're all super spread out. And so between Skype, WhatsApp, chat, 
email, Slack, which is our latest communicative forum. We use everything that technology offers us and do the best that we can. So, cause you know, we don't have normal in your face production meetings mm -hmm. because we're just not physically together. So we use all of it, everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the things that we use the most though, especially because of the time zones. And you know, while we're working hard on something, we've got, you know, half our team is sleeping because you know, they're in Egypt or they're in Italy. And so we use Slack, which is a, a great forum like place where you can set up different channels and or different teams and for each department and then when people wake up they will get flagged you can tag people and they can read and catch up and see what's going on That's cool. it is yeah um i mean there's there's a portion of that that is free it's super expensive if we were to buy the full thing so you know we lose a lot of messages that are archived later so we have to you know also use email or also use a, another forum or just you know so it's it's not just one thing like if we were in a studio we would have emails we'd have meetings in person in a boardroom and we'd probably have a you know a program like jira or something where we could task and keep it all together so we've had to be very creative <laughs> the diy way <laughs> exactly you know but but honestly I, I do not think we would have been able to have been as successful as we are now mm -hmm. even when we first started uh five six eight years ago uh, well, we started like five years ago, but if we tried to do this 10 years ago, it just would not be possible because the technology wasn't there mm -hmm. to be able to have, you know, our senior texture artist in Australia, you know, working on something and then communicating with someone in Malaysia. You know, it's just amazing mm -hmm. how, you know, where the world is now that allows us to DIY now. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's so wonderful that technology just allows so much widespread collaboration and in really quite an easy way. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 a blessing and a curse sometimes because yeah. there's a lot of when you know if you're not in a studio you don't have your text right there immediately you say oh well we have this issue the server crashed or something broke and we can't all meet and look at it together so you have to find new and inventive ways to figure out how to troubleshoot but that's the beauty of the technology at least communication wise mm. is we're able to say well here let me screen capture this or let's get in a video and share my screen you can see the problem I'm having an my computer and this and that and and you know you definitely have to think outside of the box yeah for sure yeah so i mean it's just it's kind of mind-blowing to me you've been so blessed with such an incredible response for your international volunteers to work on mila and you've really achieved this wonderful thing together it's it's just amazing I'm just like, what What can you do to thank your volunteers for that level of kindness and dedication that they put into the project? Well, uh, I hope they, they're having a, a great time and a great experience with us and mm. they're also learning a lot. And uh, my what I can do uh, as far as thanking them is finish the film <laughs> and make them, make them proud of what they've done. Yeah. I think that's the... the mm -hmm best reward that everybody wants at the moment but I'm, I'm you know we we try to give back as much as possible every day to people that um, that need us to support them in uh, on Mila or on their daily job you know 
we 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 both me and Andrea know many people, and if we can help, we help to support them in their uh, regular jobs. And and they have a chance also to grow a lot. I mean, in five years, you can imagine how many people started as juniors and are now professionals. And uh, part of that is also thanks to what they did on Mila, because we allow people to use password protected the assets or shots or paintings, whatever they are doing on Mila, for their portfolio. So that helps them move on to their careers because uh, if you work on a big studio, you cannot use what you're doing until the film is released, usually. Yeah. So that's kind of, especially for people that are starting, that's kind of a pain because you have a lot of stuff you've done, done this last year, but you cannot use it. Yeah. So it's not happening <laughs> Uh, I'm a story artist now, and I've worked on films that uh, are, you know, four years ago that are still have to be released. Wow. So I cannot use any of oh, the, my yes. work on the last. That's how it works in the industry. So yeah. that's one of the things that actually I think attract people is so that we are giving them the opportunity to use. Uh, of course, with our permission and password protected, what they're creating. Mm. So that's that's a big uh, difference that uh, they don't they don't find in other studios. Yeah, yeah, especially early on when we were working with the studios in asset development, which is you know the models and and the textures and the concept art. Especially when we were working with the students, we now I was in the Los Angeles area at that time, so that made it a lot easier, at least for Chinsy and I. So and we had a bigger team collectively there, even though we were growing with, you know, we had a lot of people from the UK who did a lot of amazing assets. And of course, you know, all over the place, uh, we weren't as big as we are now. But every Friday, at least for the students, Chinsia would bring in a new professional to come in and do a master class to give back to the students and, and wow. to help enrich them and then would do portfolio reviews and would be able to, you know, have like some amazing, you know, or people who have worked on Mila, let's say Louis Granre, who's our character designer, who's also an incredible, you know, professional come in and show his work and give a master class and then have the access to that one on one special was something I thought was pretty exciting that Shinsia did for everybody. Mm. You know, and like she said, you know, we you know, all of the students that we worked with way back when during the very, very beginning stages are professionals now. And they wrapped years ago, you know, a couple years ago. So we still try to keep in touch. It's exciting to see them at CTN or it's like, hey, how are things going? You know, you're a Nickelodeon now. Congratulations. We're so proud of you. And, and it's just continuing to stay connected as a family as much as we can. You know, and just little things too, like right for the, for the Indiegogo project. We offered a, a digital art of Mila book and then a physical copy, which will be different uh, and a little bit more extensive than the digital copy. And this may seem like minor, but it's just the best that we can do is I sent every single one of our past and present Mila team family members a copy of the digital art and though you know gave as many credits as we possibly could and we started to put it on IMDb and, you know, we have a, we're just doing as much as we possibly can um, mm. to give back because we understand the passion, the time, the effort that it takes to, to put into something like this extracurricularly. I mean, Chinsy and I are doing it. We too are volunteers, you know? So it's just as we want to show our humbleness and gratefulness and gratitude as much as possible. Uh -huh. So, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you describe it as a family and 
That is spot on. It's so heartwarming to hear it. Yes. Just the amount of care that you take over everyone. And it's, it's really wonderful. I think sometimes it can be difficult when, you know, there's not always a lot of money in animated projects, but it's so lovely to see how much you're really giving back to everyone involved. We're trying. Yeah, trying. Yeah, yes. it's it's really lovely. Like, oh, I'm starting to cheer up a bit. That's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, one of the things that's important, too, that Chintzy and I recognize is, you know, there's a lot of people who have a dream to one day be in animation. I know I did when I was a little girl. I was like, one day I want to be an animator. Well, I don't have the artistic talent at that high level, so but that doesn't mean I still can't be involved. So it's kind of exciting for me like to still be a part of animation, even though it's in a different realm. But I'm also near studios where I can make that happen or connected with people you know, like Chinsia. But people who are in Malaysia or Egypt or Australia, New Zealand, don't have the opportunity they have the talent, they have the passion and the drive, but they, they live in another hemisphere, you know, mm. and it's not that easy to get a visa to come and work or there's so much competition. So it's exciting for us to be able to extend the opportunity to at least have their dreams fulfilled, even in a tiny way on our, you know, humble little project that they can actually start to realize their dream. Like, you know, one of our artists who I, I think it was Australia got a big job finally uh, that I don't know that she would have had the opportunity had she not been given a chance to just show and prove her talents. So it's it's kind of a, an honor for us to be able to give that small little tiny opportunity for them in in a bigger way, you know, just even be a part of, of their journey and have that realized when it might not have been realized before is is quite exciting. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, that's that, wonderful. It's super heartwarming again. And it's just, I don't know, it's just really cool. Again, like this is a film that's not just raising awareness about a very important and serious topic, but it also seems like it's actively helping the people that are participating in the project. It's mm. That's really, really cool. Yeah, that's really impactful. Yeah. We're trying. Thanks. I mean, you know, and it's, you're dealing with human nature and you're dealing with beautiful souls, but Everything is not always going to be roses and candy. So you get to just roll with the punches and, and you can't please everybody. But if mm -hmm. you just try and give your all, then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Andrea, thank you guys so much for speaking with us. This was such a lovely interview and it was phenomenal talking with you guys. I think it's so inspiring how you've taken a very important topic like children of war, especially one that ties in with your personal family history, and you've turned it into this really beautiful, informative thing that can help people. And I just you guys are really something. Thank you so much for all of your work and efforts doing this. You're, it's great. Yeah, I found it a real education in so many different areas. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for sharing it with us. Yes. I just think this is such an incredible project with a really healthy, compassionate goal and motivation behind it. And on top of that, I'm just super impressed with the logistics of how they work with everybody to make this film happen in general. I love all of this. Yes, yeah. I was really impressed and really moved actually by what they're doing to repay all their volunteers. You can see so clearly that they really fully understand what they are asking their volunteers to do and to achieve. You know, they've been there and done that themselves in the industry. 
And so they've really considered how best to repay them, what's going to have the most value to them, mm -hmm. and the lengths that Chinzia and Andrea would go in order to do so. And so it creates this little community, not just around their one project, but also in the animation industry itself. And I just, I was floored by that. I just thought it was wonderful. Yeah, same. I think that's really well said. They've really created a family that's very respectful and mm. healthy again. And I just, I think they just serve as a really good example that we can all look towards. It's really nice. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, if you would like to check out the trailer and find out more info about Mila, you can visit milafilm.com. That's M-I-L-A-F-I-L-M.com. And they also have a donation button there if you'd like to help them with further support. Yep. And we'll have all the links in the show notes for this episode at diyanimation.show forward slash diya 18. That's one eight. Yeah. We'll be back with part two of this interview on Wednesday, the 17th of April, where we discover how to find projects like Mila to work on. Why you should pick a story that's important to you for your animated project. The importance of showcasing hope through storytelling. And, of course, the one most vital thing a DIY animator needs. Oh, yes. Well, in the meantime, you can subscribe on Spotify as well as SoundCloud and iTunes. Lovely. You can also help support the show through our new coffee page, ko-fi.com forward slash DIYA show. Yep. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for all the updates. Mm-hmm. Until next time. Follow your hearts. And have fun animating. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> The DIY Animation Show is an indie production from your hosts, Jessica Dahl and Lauren Morse. Our theme music was provided by Azure Flux. Subscribe at DIYanimation.show. If you liked this podcast, Maybe you'll enjoy more art and story podcasts from our friends at the Oatly Academy of Visual Storytelling, featuring insights from some of the most inspiring voices in animation, games, biz effects, comics, and children's books. Find them at friendsofdiya.com. We'll see you next time. Bye! It's interesting, right? Um... Cause, uh, I am, um, so sorry. So in, 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 as you, so wow, holy crap. So let's try this again. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> like, I want this, I want this for retakes. So. <laughs> we'll collect them all together and send them to you. Totally. Right. <laughs> my, my brain just tried to say four things at once. <laughs> okay. Ready?